The sermon passage for today is Exodus 40, verses 34 to 38. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. You may be seated. And as you take your seat, I want to invite you to pray with me. Our Father, our Lord, our Creator, our Redeemer, our Sustainer, our Hope, we come to you now this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. And we cry out to you. Lord, this is our cry. We pray that you would allow us to know you. We pray you would allow us to experience your love and your mercy and your compassion and your power at work for your people. We pray you would fill us with hope. We pray you would fill us with peace. We pray you would fill us with joy. Not in the temporary things of this world, but in you and in your love and in your compassion and in your mercy. Lord, we pray that you would work in this gathering today. Lord, I pray you would take these words which you have spoken. I pray you would cause me to speak them in a way that rightly reflects you. And in a way that you would bless. <clears throat> we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Friends, it's so good to see all of you this morning. If um, you haven't, please take your Bibles and turn over to the book of Exodus chapter 40. Book of Exodus chapter 40. Today, we are concluding our study in the book of Exodus. And we've been at this for over a year and um, we come to the end. And the Lord's been very good to us through his word. And um, we are very hopeful that he will continue to shape us through this book of Exodus. We have walked with God's people, the nation of Israel, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We've walked with them as the Lord has met them in a foreign land, brought them out of slavery, brought them on a journey to a promised land, and is beginning to shape them to be and to live as his people. And in this journey, we've, we've seen and learned much about God's power, his 
love for his people, his commitment to his word, his commitment to himself. And today, the Exodus story ends with God giving to his people the greatest blessing that he can give them. His presence among them to work for them. The story ends with God have, have, having given his presence to his people to work among them. And this is in spite of their shortcomings, in spite of their rebellion, in spite of their out and out sin against the Lord. He who established relationship with his people gives to his people his presence among them as he continues to work for them. And just to cut all the way ahead, all the way to the end, the great blessing is to have God present and working for his people. And the great challenge is for us to see the presence and the provision and the power of the Lord for us as a greater blessing than all of the other little blessings around us. What we need is to know the Lord and to know his power. And he is present and moving and working. So let's dive into this passage together and see what it is telling us. So if you want to take notes this morning, first point is God with us. Or in this passage, more particular, God with his people. Now, I want you to go back to the end of verse 33. So just, just look up. And the last five words of verse 33 are this. So Moses finished the work. The work is this. The Lord had given to Moses meticulous detail of how to build his meeting place among his people, the tabernacle. So in the, the late 20 chapters, uh, in the 20s of Exodus, there were five chapters of meticulous detail about the tabernacle. And then when they built it, we got virtually those five chapters again to really drive home the point that all the details mattered. And, and rather this time than missing the point and rebelling, the people listened and obeyed and did exactly what God commanded them to do. And so verse 33 says, Moses finished the work. Verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, we got to make a connection there. there. There is a logical connection there. 
And this is it. They had done exactly what God desired to be done. God desired a dwelling place among his people. And and when the work was completed, what happened? The presence of the Lord descended on the tabernacle among the people. That's what verse 34 tells us. The cloud is the presence of the Lord that had led them out of Egypt. The presence of the Lord that had led them through the wilderness. The presence of the Lord that had been dwelling on the mountain where Moses met with the Lord. Now, this cloud, this presence of the Lord has come and descended upon the tabernacle. And the glory of the Lord, meaning his fame, his splendor, that which he is known for, that which is unique about him, the glory of the Lord is dwelling among the people. Not on the mountain, not out there, not outside the camp, not to appear and disappear, but to dwell among the people. And this glory was so readily present. Verse 35 says that Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So, just at a, at a surface level reading, this passage says God's presence is fully revealed among his people. Cool. Next. I don't think we can be so quick to move through that. Because what this means is the Lord came and delivered his people out of Egypt So that they would know him and he would be known as their savior and receive glory to the ends of the earth. What the Lord is saying is, I work for these people. My power is displayed for these people. The greatest blessing that I can give these people is to dwell among them and to work for them and to move on their behalf. God has given Israel the gift of himself and his presence and his commitment because he wants Israel to know him and he wants the nations to know of his greatness. So as we look at these first two verses... The implications are this. Number one, the presence of God is the blessing of God to the people of God. The presence of God is the blessing of God to the people of God. Why did God deliver them out of Egypt? To make them his people. I will be your God and you will be my people. I will dwell with you. I will be for you. I will work for you. I don't think it's a biblical stretch at all. I think it's the way we should read Exodus to see that God brought them out of Egypt 
to make them his people, to dwell among them, to work for them, and to take them all the way to the promised land. Now, friends, we're not Israel in a physical sense. We're not in a physical wilderness moving from a physical Egypt to a physical promised land. But this story of the Exodus is a narrative that shaped the life of Israel. And it's a narrative that Jesus grabbed onto to show what God had sent him to do. Friends, we stand before God in one of two places. Or I guess if we're alive we stand before God in one of two places. Either in Egypt, spiritually speaking, meaning that we need to be brought out and delivered by the powerful hand of God. Or in the wilderness, moving from Egypt to home. And if we're in the wilderness, meaning we have been brought out through the blood of Christ, That's the only way out is through the blood of Jesus. We've been brought out through the blood of Christ. Then in the wilderness, what we need more than anything is to walk in and to experience the presence and the power and the love and the mercy and the compassion of God. And the New Testament tells us that God is present with us through his son And by his spirit. His spirit who dwells within. Now, very practically, the fact that the spirit dwells within, I think a lot of us go, well, so God's present with us. He's always here. He's always there. He's always working. True, true, and true. But the question is, is do we know and enjoy and benefit from the presence of the Lord. I just spent a joyful, prolonged vacation with my kids out of Hendersonville. My wife and kids, let me clarify that. So our, our whole family was together. So does that mean that we experienced and enjoyed the presence of one another? In this instance, we did, but not necessarily. Just sharing a hotel room doesn't mean walking in and benefiting from and enjoying the presence of one another. The question is, what do you do with the togetherness, right? If you're married here, just because you go on a date with your spouse doesn't mean that you enjoy and benefit from the love and the presence of one another. The question is, what do you do with the date? If you sit there and check Twitter, you're not benefiting. I promise. It's probably a good rule for all of life, but particularly. So friends, the spirit of the Lord dwells in all of his children. He's in us. Praise his name. He's made his presence manifestly known. But the question is, are we going to relate to him? Are we going to listen to him? Are we going to 
speak to and prayerfully engage with him? Are we going to ask him to lead us that we might keep in step with him? The presence of God is the blessing of God to the people of God. And my prayer for myself and my prayer for you is that we would know the presence of God in Christ, the presence of God by the Spirit, and be um, changed and transformed and taught and guided and cared for and nurtured and made new through God's presence. Now, friends, when I start talking about knowing the presence of God, I'm not talking about like this overly creative, mystical, whatever. Like the Lord's revealed himself in his word. He's revealed himself in his son. He's revealed himself in his spirit. Let's go to him in the places that he's revealing himself. Let's walk with him. Let's engage with him. Let's speak to him. Let's pursue him. The presence of God is the blessing of God to the people of God. A second implication from this first point about God with us is God is definitively resolving the tension of Israel's rebellion. God is definitively resolving the tension of Israel's rebellion. This is a pivotal moment in the scripture. God has come to save his people. He's brought them out of Egypt. He's revealing himself to them. He's leading them. He's given his law to them. He said, follow me. He said, be like me. He said, do all that I say. And they rebelled against him. Is he going to squash them? Is he going to destroy them? Is he going to break his covenant with them because they've broken their covenant with him? How is the Lord going to respond to this? And this moment here shows that the Lord is just as committed to his people on the after side of their rebellion as he was on the before side of the rebellion. He's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of forgiveness. He's a God of reconciliation. He's a God of redemption. And the relationship is always rooted in his activity, but he has graciously and fully re-entered his plans for Israel as if the rebellion didn't happen. Very simply, in your time today, go back and read Exodus 25, 1 through 9, where God told Moses, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to build a house. I'm going to dwell among the people. I'm going to lead you into the land. You're going to defeat your enemies, and I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. And what do you see here in 40, verses 34 and 35? God has acted accordingly. He's done it, even in spite of their rebellion. So God has revealed that he is a God of mercy and grace and forgiveness, even when his people are covenant breakers. This pushes us to our second point. Ready to go. 
As amazing as this encounter is, the wilderness and the mountain are not their home. The Lord has a land for them. And this work has been preparation for moving to the land. And it, and now that they know the Lord, know his law, know his covenant, know his word, know his ways, know his mercy, know their need to take his word seriously and have his presence, they are ready to move to the land. How are they going to move? As God moves for them. Look at verse 36. Throughout all their journeys... Whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So what this is telling us is, they weren't staying, they were going, but they would only go when the Lord moved because what they most needed was for the Lord to be among them and fighting for them. So when the Lord lifted from the tabernacle and moved, the people would move. And when the Lord stopped, the people would stop and the Lord would descend upon the tabernacle. But what this tells us is, Israel is adequately postured for the journey to the promised land because the Lord adequately dwells among his people. Or maybe a better way to say that is the Lord who is adequate dwells among his people. Now, this isn't new. If you know the Exodus story, they got to the mountain by following the cloud and they're going to leave by following the cloud the cloud, but they're going to know more of the Lord and engage more with the Lord because the Lord is dwelling in the tabernacle among his people. So they are postured for the journey because the Lord is dwelling among them. Second, they're postured for the journey because the Lord is going to teach them how to relate to him in the tabernacle. They are postured for the journey because the Lord is going to teach them how to relate to them, how to relate to him in the tabernacle. The Lord plans to relate to his people. Now, those of you who know me, this is going to startle you, but in the next 30 seconds, we're going to cover all of Leviticus and the first 10 chapters of Numbers, okay? Leviticus chapter 1. The Lord called Moses. By the way, that's just the next page in your Bible, okay? The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them. And the book of Leviticus and the first 10 chapters of the book of Numbers, the Lord is going to teach the people how he will meet with and relate to them in the tabernacle. And that's going to take, according to scholars, another 40-something days 
And at the end of those days, they're going to go. They're going to go. So knowing the Lord who saves, postured for the journey by the presence of the Lord, and instructed how to relate to the Lord in his dwelling place among his people, they are ready to go. They're ready to move toward the promised land. Israel is God's people moving with God's presence through the nations to the place where God will fulfill his word to them. So here's what the book of Exodus shows us about God's people. Number one, God's people were saved from, or were powerfully saved from slavery. God got them out of Egypt. Number two, God's people were saved powerfully from slavery in Egypt to know God and to know his ways. God was going to begin to work Egypt out of them. Number three, God's people who were saved and who were taught his ways are to follow him to the land. They follow him. He doesn't follow them. He leads the way. They don't lead the way. And number four, God's people have been saved and set apart to follow the Lord. And number four, to image him to the world, meaning to display and tell of his greatness to the nations. As they go on this journey, it will be a powerful, repetitive declaration of God's power and God's commitment to his people. So friends, I want to summarize this. Sometimes others write it better than I could. So I want to summarize this with a few words from Ian Campbell. That's where we leave God's people. Redeemed by grace, heading out in faith, led by God, fortified by his presence, guided by his hand, seeking a homeland. Like them, like Israel, we must move forward too, facing the trials of wilderness life, knowing that if God is for us, who can be against us? So as we conclude the book of Exodus today, 
let's know this. This story of God's saving power, God's transforming power, God's faithfulness to his people became the story that shaped the identity of Israel throughout all generations. It also became the story that Jesus would latch on to to show Israel that he is their savior. So friends, we need Christ. We need Christ. If we don't have Christ, then we are left in bondage, slavery, sin, and death. Christ came to bring God's people once and for all and forever out of bondage and slavery and sin and death. The most important question you can ask of yourself is this. How do I relate to Jesus? How do I stand before Christ? Do I stand in faith, meaning I recognize his his power, his saving sacrifice, and I come to the Father through him, trusting that, that he makes me acceptable, trusting that he forgives my sin, trusting that he brings me out of sin and death? Or do I just stand before the Lord on my own, rejecting his son? The scripture says this is a, a path of death and a path of destruction. It's God who saves. It's God who saves through Jesus. So we implore you to come to Jesus. Finally, Exodus reminds us of what it looks like to live as followers of Christ now. Guys, we're a people in the wilderness We're a people learning to follow our saving God and learning to leave our Egypt behind. We're not home. This is not the place of no suffering. This is not the place of no tension. This is not the place of no death or destruction. This is not the place without hardship. This is the wilderness. But the Lord is with his people in the wilderness Let us learn to walk through the wilderness by faith, trusting the Lord and clinging to him. And let us learn to not believe that the wilderness is our promised land. The Lord has something eternal and whole and complete for his people. We call that everlasting life. Let's long to know fully the Lord in these ways. So our Father and our God, we pray now that you would take these words which you have spoken and as much as they are true or right and right and good, we pray you would cause us to hear them and believe them and to run after you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior.